If you are interested in meeting a modern-day Annie Oakley, this episode is for you. Drawn to the Wild West from the time she was a young girl, Judy Woolley has fulfilled many dreams through grit, determination, and of course, a little inspiration. Join me in learning of Judy's path from homesteader to national champion in professional speed shooting to member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is Converted, a podcast which highlights stories of those who have come into the fold of Christ's restored church. The views expressed in this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not represent official church doctrine. I am your host, Tiffany Unsworth, and I look forward to learning from our friends in the faith. Okay, friends, I am here with Sister Judy Woolley, W-O-O-L-L-E-Y, and we are thrilled, uh, Sister Woolley, that you're willing to take the time to visit with us, and I thought we'd start by just uh, getting to know you a little bit. Tell us about your interests, your background, anything you'd like to share. Okay, well, I grew up in western Massachusetts, and I'm uh, one of seven kids in my family. I'm number five of the girls, and then my brother's ten and a half months after me, and then there's a, another sister after him. Oh, and, so one uh, boy. One boy, All yeah. these girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he turned out to be pretty good. He's a good guy. Um, and so from the time I was four, I had determined I was going to move west. And, it, and the reason was that we had, uh, my parents had bought the World Book Encyclopedia in 1962. And so it was a big family. We had to be either... If we were inside, we were doing chores or homework or some type of handwork to be quiet. And outside, we were told you could, you know, run around and scream and holler and have a good time out there. <laughs> so when we got the World Book Encyclopedia, I was pretty thrilled to look. I had a concept of what the United States looked like and what it meant. And uh, so I remember looking up states. And under the each the information of each state, it would have, like, the number of little oil rigs for petroleum production or little ears of corn to represent sure, agricultural yes, production. Yes, yes. But they I also, remember maps like this. <laughs> yep. And then it had population densities. Okay. And I'm sure there were other states like it, but Utah, Wyoming, and Montana all had less than two people per square mile at the time. <laughs> and so I just determined that that's where I was going when I grew up. How about that? And you were how old again? <laughs> Four. <laughs> Four years old, really? Yeah, yep. So when Charlie and I got together, we met in nursing school. Uh -huh. And uh, he finished school. I went halfway through and quit. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, well, what are your plans? I said, well, I'm going to Utah, Wyoming, or Montana. What do you, I said, you want to come along? He says, yeah, okay, I guess. And he said, have you ever thought about getting married? I said, well, someday. And that was his proposal I found out <laughs> later. That was it. <laughs> that was it. That was it. And uh, so we got married shortly before moving out to, to Penguich, Utah. And we lived there for three years, and then that was the first time I'd actually lived in a small town because I grew up outside of um, Lenox, Massachusetts. We grew up in a kind of a rural area where there are dairy farms around us and such. And because uh, I just kind of got tired of being right in town and feeling like I was in a fishbowl. Mm -hmm. So we uh, took a spring vacation and drove up through Idaho and uh, Washington and came back down through western Montana and in Plains. Everything just fell into place. We found a place, to, uh, some property to buy. We contracted with a guy to do the logs for a small log cabin. Um, 
Charlie got hired at the hospital. I got offered a job there, and and we came home two days later and found out we, our house in Utah had an offer. So we, within three weeks, we're in Montana. <laughs> wow. So, so your childhood dreams were being realized in yeah, these different states. In different ways than I'd realized. So I was a kid that grew up reading uh, Little House on the Prairie. Yes. Louisa May Alcott books and things like that. And um, always felt like I'd been born 100 years too late. Wow. Long <laughs> so, for simpler times. Mm-hmm. And closer to the earth. I like to grow things. I love to play in the dirt and grow food and stuff. So we homesteaded our place in Montana for 37 and a half years. What? Yep. And uh, that's legit. Grew most of our food and had this small cabin and had our well. And um, we had, we didn't have an indoor toilet. Wow. <laughs> we had two outhouses though. Um, one out, you know, past the kitchen doorways and the other was out on our shooting range on our property. And we ran it as a tree farm. So we, um, so a lot of people think of tree farms and think of Christmas trees, but we grew timber for timber, you know, for lumber production. Wow. So we had five log sales on the property and we only heated with wood, both the house and the shop. So we had to cut and split and stack a lot of firewood and move it every year. Um, but we grew most of our food. I planted a small orchard. We grew a huge raspberry patch and it, we'd pick about 40 gallons of raspberries a year and most, some to sell and some to use for ourselves. And, uh, sold literally tons of apples off of the property and wow um, we could ski put snow you know put on our snowshoes or our cross-country skis right at our step and uh, go up in the woods from there and so we'd hunt off of our property or up in the woods off of our property and you go about 50 miles in one direction before you'd hit a, uh, a, a paved road wow so we were out there a ways you so. could have had a reality TV show <laughs> that people would have been fascinated by. We have thought more than once we should run our place as a fat farm and get people to come help us. <laughs> and they could burn calories, too. <laughs> there you go. So we've, Two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. So we've always... Um, so I guess that one of the things that our, our friends in Panguitch taught us was uh, how to grind wheat and make bread. and sure. So we still do that today. and. Uh, still grow a lot of our food and do a little bit of hunting here, you know, compared to Montana. We almost never bought meat in Montana. Wow. Um, and along the way, when Charlie and I got together, he, his background included shooting, which he learned as a Boy Scout when he was 12. And um, so when we were dating, I, you know, I was like, well, I kind of like this guy, but I don't know what he's talking about. He's talking to me about ballistics and bullet velocities and powder burn rates and it was like Greek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no idea what he's talking to me about but I kind of liked him so I, one day I said how about if I teach you how to sew and play piano and you teach me how to shoot. He said we can do that. Nice. So I taught him the basics of fingering on the piano and the basics of running. We had a tre- treadle sewing machine <laughs> which wow. we still have and it still works and uh, so he learned the basics of sewing some straight lines and such and and he took me shooting and I loved it from the first shot. Really? Loved it. So um, it turns out that that's one of my God-given talents is having pretty darn good eye-hand coordination. And so we got into shooting together and um, some shooting contests and, and then Charlie decided to go hunt wild boar with his handgun in 1985 and they figured the best way to test out his skills and the capabilities of the pistol was to get into competition shooting. 
And the nearest competition where, from where we lived was about 90 or 95 miles. And I thought, well, if it's going to be away on a whole day I, to do this, I want to be part of it too. So that's how I got into, you know, I had been shooting for a few years at that point, but then uh, got into competition shooting in 1985. And in 1987, a, a, another fellow from Butte, Montana, who Bob Munden, who a lot of people have heard of as a, a trick shooter and um, an interesting character. Um, he encouraged me. He says, you know, you're good enough to be on the on the circuit. And I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he says, you're ready for the big times. He said, you need to get into some of these competitions. And he gave me a list of competitions. And, and uh, so I picked one out that was in California. And that was in April of the next year. And I just did a lot of dry firing and working towards it. And, and uh, had one bad shot in the whole match, and I came in second by point two seconds. <laughs> so wow! But then the, the the hook was sunk, and I was ready oh, for more competition. Yeah, if that was your first competition, that's not bad. First big one, yeah. Oh. So uh, then in 1990, Smith and Wesson was looking for a woman for their shooting team that they were just starting up, and uh, and I thought, boy, that would be pretty neat if they would even look for a minute, look at me for a minute. That would be just a pretty amazing high point in my shooting endeavors and uh, it turned out there were seven events at this match called the World Speed Shooting Championship and I won top woman in all seven events and came out higher by a long shot than any woman ever had and Smith & Wesson didn't look at anybody else so oh, I got hired to be on their gee, shooting team. That is was, so cool. That was really fun and so I got to shoot all kinds of guns, rifles, handguns, shotguns in all kinds of competitions all around the country and uh, so that was How fulfilling. So that was really fun. It was great. But then I, so I'd be on the road for maybe two weeks, living out of a suitcase and you know different motels in different cities, and get home and throw my laundry into my ringer washer because I didn't have a, a modern washing machine. Wow. And grind wheat and bake bread and get stuff out of the garden and put food up and and then throw everything back in the suitcase and hit the road again. So it was four years of. Um, really fun stuff and a lot of work <laughs> yes and so, a lot of work but oh. it was that was really cool so that's still been that's fascinating it's still been a good thing in life I've met lots of good people all, from all around the world and all around the country and I still have very good friends from the shooting days that we went to New Zealand last year we've been to the Netherlands together um, we're thinking about Alaska this year maybe mm. um, so it, it's just been a lot of you know, it, it built a lot of good friendships, really strong friendships. And um, when we're our toughest competitors, have become our best friends. Yes. So, so I still teach a little bit, and um, but that getting involved in something just because I loved this guy that I was just dating <laughs> has taken me to places that I never would have guessed. You know, could never have foreseen. But it's How been fun. beautiful! God had a plan for you. Yep. So then, after living in up in the woods for 37 years. Um, we just decided that it was time to move to a simpler life. Um, Not place, so physically demanding. Mm -hmm, a place that was going to be easier on our bodies as we got older. <laughs> and so uh, we'd always wanted to come back to southern Utah, and, but not Penguich because it's cold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's colder there than it was in Montana. And uh, so we, we looked first over uh, west of Cedar City and then decided to come over here to Kanab and everything worked out beautifully here. So we're, here we are in this beautiful sunny spot. I love it. I do too. And I'm so glad that we are neighbors and 
I have to share something. I don't think it would embarrass you, Judy, but I think it's amazing that coming from that homesteading experience, you saved up enough money to pay cash <laughs> for the house we're sitting in now. Mm -hmm. And not many people, I don't know anyone who's done that actually. Uh, <laughs> so I pinched a lot of pennies and I worked mm -hmm. a lot of jobs. I did a lot of jobs. Um, there were times when I had five or six week, different jobs in a week, just little part-time jobs and it all added up. So I can pinch a penny eight ways to Sunday. <laughs> oh, I love <laughs> if that. If anybody needs advice. <laughs> That's so great. So, yeah. I'm sure a lot of us could use that advice. So we're sitting here in your beautiful home surrounded by things you've made. They're beautiful plants, beautiful quilted um, decorations and I could go on and on so much renovation you've done and I, I can feel the hard work that's gone into this beautiful place well, so thank you. yeah we love it here thank you thanks for welcoming us in you're welcome <laughs> Judy how did you come into the restored gospel of Jesus Christ well, it's kind of a long story, and then it actually started when Charlie and I were first married in 1978, and we moved from Massachusetts, where I grew up, to Utah, and we uh, lived in Panguitch, Utah, for three years. And um, Charlie met a man at the shooting range, because our passion is shooting and anything outdoors, and uh, Dale Baldwin asked us over, and he said, come on over, meet the family. So um, he and Charlie met at the shooting range, and I went over and knocked on the door um, of Baldwin's one afternoon and met Elaine. And um, the interesting thing with that is right off the bat, I had this feeling of um, like, what, what's going through my mind right now? Because I was confused and I'm thinking, she's a sister. And, huh. and I was going through the sisters that I have, like Anne, Chris, Barb, Pat, no. and Sheila, and where does Elaine fit in? You had a feeling, mm -hmm. like a sisterhood feeling. Very, very strong. Wow. And the funny thing was neither of us ever said anything about it until 19, or 2012 <sighs> when I was visiting them, and Dale and Elaine, um, and I just, you know, said, I just feel like I really strongly need to let my faith, you know, admit that I have a faith and mm. explore it. And I really feel like of all the churches that I've had anything to do with, because I attended different Bible studies with different churches and and uh, never felt really satisfied. Always felt like there was some issue there that they had with a different church. And I, and I thought, I don't want that. Mm. You know, I want to be able to respect, as I do, all people mm. and respect their faith. Um, and the LDS church that we were introduced, introduced to back when we lived in Panguitch just always left a huge impression on me. Mm. Um, so I'm kind of going back and forth, but from the beginning, when we first no, came okay. to Utah and learned more about the church, uh -huh. um, and I wasn't ready then at all. Really, sure. Really kind of still rebellious, hard-hearted, and one thing or another, and um, not a bad person, but just like, no, I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2012, when I visited Elaine, I, I told her, I said, you know, I, I feel like I really just need to, you know, make a commitment to God, and, um, and I said, I, I feel like I'm ready. But I said, I also don't feel like I'm a good enough person to, you know, become baptized in the church. And she said, you, Judy, you are. And I said, no, I still have one bad thought that I, I'm working on, and I won't tell you what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and she laughed when I told her, and she said, no, you're, you're ready. You're good enough. So she gave me um, another book of Mormon, and this one I actually read, because uh, she'd given me one when we left Panguitch. 
1981. Uh -huh. And I kind of would look at it now and then, but never really got into it. And uh, in 2012, um, well, I, mean, I was just getting ready to leave Dale and Elaine's that, and one morning, and Elaine handed me the book, and she'd written a really nice passage to me, um, very personal and sweet. And, um, and she said, do you know what I felt that first time when you knocked on the door? And I said, no. And she said, I felt like I was seeing my sister again, a sister I'd always known and always loved. And, and I, I got all choked up and I said, I thought the same thing. I said, I was trying to fit you in with my other sisters. How did I know you? How did I know you so well? Um, yeah, it was it was a pretty amazing thing, and the, the funny thing was all those years we'd never ever mentioned it, and wow. then so so I know that uh, that kind of gave me some uh, validation of the faith and the belief that we have a, a premortal life and we have a life that we're going on to after this mortal life on on earth, and so that night when I was sitting in a motel room, I started reading the Book of Mormon and I called Charlie. I said, "You have to read this." <laughs> It's true. You have to read this, sweetie. And he's like, okay, I'll get to it. And so each night that I was on the road for about what a week and a half or so, I kept calling him and I said, it's true. You've got to read this book. I said, there is not a doubt in my mind that this is absolute, 100% true. And um, so, so when I got home, I, uh, you know, I said, you got to read this. <laughs> and he would wait, and I'd wait, he would, you know, and with this went on and on. And I thought, well, I don't want to push him to the point where he just digs in his heels and says, no, sure. I'm not interested. And uh, so about every six months, I would say, so have you cracked the book yet? No. <laughs> and so going way back to when we were first married, um, a couple young ladies knocked on our door one afternoon mm -hmm. in our little home in Panguitch, and and they were Mormon missionaries, uh -huh. and I, you know, we talked to them for a little bit, but I said, no, I'm not ready for the, the lessons, but thank you for your time. I really appreciate what you do, and sent them on their way. Did you so, feel anything at that point, or it was just an exposure? It was just an exposure. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing was the, the people in Panguitch just took us in because of knowing Dale and Elaine, and, and we became part of their family. And they, were, they still think of us as family, and we have Thanksgiving with them in one thing or another. Um, but we'd go, you know, marmot hunting with them or whatever, oh. and we went on uh, a couple hikes through the Zion Narrows with the, um, what was it, the young marrieds and the, the young families and stuff. And nice. So we just became part of the community that way through the church. Mm. And I attended Relief Society and all that stuff, but just could never make a commitment. So I had a great exposure when we were first married, and I was... And I needed to learn an awful lot of things because I didn't know much of anything when I was 20, <laughs> I have to say. Um, I don't know that any of us do. No, no offense I, to 20-year-olds. No, but. <laughs> I, I think 20-year-olds who are raised in the church know a lot more than I did, that's for sure. Um, so Elaine was very generous with her time and, and teaching me things and just incorporating me into, into the fold, I guess. So, um, so all those years, just kind of, it was just there. And we would, Charlie and I would do what we called Mormon stalking. <laughs> and I know nowadays, you know, we're not supposed to say Mormon specifically, but that's what we always thought of it. Sure. It was like, oh, that's a family that looks so healthy and so happy. Do you think they're Mormon? Sure. <laughs> and a lot of times they were. So, um, so that was, that was kind of fun. So in, so from 2012 to 2015, I, like I say, about every six months I would ask Charlie, have you read the book? Are you going to read it? Would you read it for me, please? And 
And so finally he started reading it. And in the meantime, I helped friends who had taken the lessons and were th considering converting, and I encouraged them 100%, <laughs> like I was an old pro at it or something. <laughs> and uh, I said, no, this is the best thing. It's the, it's the best church. I mean, just from, from the time a baby is born to um, when they die at an old age, just there's so many good things that happen in life because of being a member of the faith. And, um, wow. and I said, yeah, you, you, know, you won't regret it. You'll meet great people. Um, and so they converted. We went to their <laughs> baptism. How about that? And they sent the, the two sister missionaries to us. Really? And, and this was in Montana? Montana. Okay. Yep. So, okay. and a lot of the years in Montana, I played volleyball two nights a week. And so I, With other sisters from? from It was just community volleyball. Community, okay. But on Wednesday nights, quite often, the whoever were the missionaries in Plains would come and play volleyball with us. And I'd always say, so where are you from? And California, Alabama, or wherever. And I kept thinking, don't they make missionaries in Utah anymore? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, kept, you know, in the back of my mind, it was like, if Utah missionaries knock on my door, I'm going to have to listen to them. Mm. I'm just goofy, that's all. No, that's <laughs> So these two missionaries that are friends who had become baptized um, sent to us were both from Utah. Mm. And I thought, okay, that's another sign for me. It's time. And so they kept saying, well, Brother Willie, have you finished reading the book yet? No, I'm still thinking about it. And we'd ask questions, and, and they were very sweet, wonderful young ladies, and um, you know, just so grounded in the, in the gospel and everything. They could answer all of our questions, and we just had a great time with them. And, and this went on. So, Brother Willie, each time he visited, have you finished reading? No. Mm -hmm. What are your questions this week? <laughs> and uh, so I, I kept, you know, I was ready. I was ready, had been ready for a long time to be baptized. And, but I wanted to do it with my husband because I thought if I'm going to make that commitment, it's a, it's a big commitment. That's and I want beautiful. both of us to do it together. Yeah. Um, so mm. Charlie finished reading the Book of Mormon. We'd been attending church for a while. And... Uh, and so the question, of course, that would come up at church occasionally is, have you picked a date to be baptized? I said, I'm still waiting for my husband. And uh, one day in late January of 2016, uh, Charlie said he woke up like at 4.30 in the morning and there was this voice that said, you know, you've made, you know, you know, you know this is the right thing to do. What are you waiting for? Mm. And uh, so while I was fixing breakfast, he said, so have you picked a date to be baptized? Oh, that's great. <laughs> I said, I'm waiting for you. He says, I'm ready. So It took so, a heavenly voice, something from yeah. the other side At that point, to his, talk his, to him. His ears were plugged to his <laughs> wife's voice. <laughs> so hmm. anyway, so that's the, the long and short of it, I guess. I've, I've really been uh, very grateful to... Um, to have known people of the faith for a long time and, and watched how they've raised their kids and um, the faithfulness to the gospel, their love of country and nation, um, their love of family, everything, the way they raised, you know, just, I wish I had been raised that way, but can't go back so I can go forward. Yeah. Well, we certainly need the zeal of converts. I think every time a convert comes into the fold, it energizes the mass and um, so it helps us realize those of us who are raised in the church what we've had all along with this newfound faith how do you feel about Jesus Christ hmm. um, let's see well he's alive to me 
Um, he's, I, I value the, um, the miracles that he performed uh, when, during his, you know, before the uh, crucifixion. And um, I just find it, the more I learn about him, the more I am amazed of what he's gone through for all of us what he gave up in his life uh, willingly and knowingly um, is pretty astounding. I still, I can get choked up quite easily thinking about it. It's hard to believe that somebody could sacrifice themselves for the world. Um, and the fact that he's still alive, that we can talk to him, we can pray to him, we can um, ask for blessings. Um, that's been a really powerful thing to, to have the power of prayer makes a big difference in my life. So even though I get choked up and sound terrible about it, <laughs> oh, it really does bring me a lot of joy. Thank you. Yeah, you and I both, we were discussing today after our <laughs> worship service how sometimes we just do get choked up. The feelings we have in our hearts just spills out in the yeah. form of tears <laughs> and we can't hold it in. But um, I love that you said he is alive to me. And I love that we can connect through prayer to heaven. Um, I know as I was on my mission teaching people, many people um, might not know that, that they can offer a prayer that is not um, memorized or, mm. or, or one that is repeated in the same format. And so what a blessing that we can pray anytime, anywhere, anyhow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. It's just, it's, it makes it a lot more personal. Yeah. I still remember the prayers that I learned, you know, as a Catholic child. Sure. And sometimes, you know, those will just pop up in my brain and it's like, well, uh, that's what my prayer is today. And yes, or one of my many prayers in the day. But I like the fact that um, it makes, I think this faith is grounded in so well in um, the Godhead and knowing that we can pray to our Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Brother Jesus Christ and to the Holy Ghost um, just is an awfully powerful peaceful thing mm. absolutely it's quite a blessing such a blessing and those prayers such as the Lord's Prayer they are really beautiful and I don't mean to discount no. those and what a blessing that as a child you were taught that, right? Yeah, I'm glad I had that, because compared to a lot of kids who don't even have that anymore. Right. Oh, I agree. I'm so grateful for the faith my parents shared with me and any little thing that they could share that had to do with God. It, it is instilled in me, and I'm grateful for that. I think that's one of the things I really appreciate, appreciate about watching families, too, in the church is, um, like you say, how parents can teach their little children and how um, they're prepared then to teach other people as they grow up and be a good example. And so when Charlie and I were asked to teach primary, I said, actually said to Brother Sorensen, you do realize we don't have children, right? You do realize we haven't had much to do with children, right? You really don't want to ask us, do you? And he's like, yeah, this is your calling. And uh, and I thought, these poor little, you know, these little children, how am I going to help them? They know so much more than I do. And so it helped me to step up and, and to make myself learn and think about things differently and still be able to relate to, to children. And um, not that we've been able to do much of that for this last year, but but I really loved it. Every time I was like, oh, I can't wait to be with the kids today. Oh, wow. So, so that's been 
so I guess, you know, I, I hope that I've put in, instilled in the children, um, you know, some portion of what they need to know that helps build their foundation so strongly that it'll never, it'll never rock or crack and uh, that they can go on and then teach other people and be good examples and such too. So I, I think it's, it's the sweetest whole um, life program anywhere on earth, I think. Oh, wow. So. That's a beautiful statement. I love that life program. That's exactly what we've been given. And as the mother of one of these little children, yeah. I can tell you <laughs> that you are blessing your kids that you're teaching. And I know you put your whole heart into your calling. And a calling is something that's really cool about our faith. Yeah. You don't find that in many faiths where almost everyone who wants to help in the congregation is given a job an opportunity an to, opportunity yeah, to yeah. serve or to teach and um it's such a blessing that's that's really neat that right away you've been given that kind of a uh -huh. it was a, a little task. scary and intimidating at first <laughs> <laughs> i kept telling charlie for the next two weeks i was like what are they thinking and charlie says just shut up and pray about it <laughs> i love it i love it so i was like i am praying but Really, what are they thinking, you know? Oh, so, I love that. That's so, so great. How so I'm, st I'm still me from my 50-some years before becoming a member. What would it be? 57 years, I guess. So there's still, you know, 57 years to overcome uh, some of my um, strongly held personality traits, I guess, that aren't always the best thing in, mm -hmm. in terms of the church, but I'm working on it. So, Well, I, I love the, the faith you have, and I believe wholeheartedly in the scripture that says, he whom the Lord calls, he also qualifies. And so even when we're feeling completely inadequate and we have no idea how we're going to do something, <laughs> the Lord can take us and use our weaknesses and work through us in amazing ways. Mm -hmm, that's true. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. It doesn't mean we don't have to try, we don't have to put forth effort, but he really can use his children to bless the world and I've seen that with you I'm so grateful to have you as a friend and I'm well, grateful you. that you would share your experience well thank you it's been nice to to meet you and your family too because mm -hmm. um, you're each such sweet good people and it's and it just you all really shine through so it's really nice to see so that's one of the things I've missed about church this last year is not seeing the family so much. Wow. Right. <laughs> yes. So we've kind of been in our little separate six feet apart benches our with pods. our masks yeah. on. And, and it's older people. And, different. Yeah. Yes. So. The older, older generation goes separately from the younger ones with children. Yep. So it has been difficult. I hope for the day that we all can be together in Same the chapel here. again. Same here, definitely. Well, before we close out, is there anything else on your mind or in your heart that you would like to share? Mm, I guess um, one of the things of, uh, you know, because of the, the hymns that we sing and count your many blessings, and I, I guess I, I think I've always been a fairly thankful person about the good things that I've had in my life. And, um, and you know, it's like I've been grateful for my husband and grateful for living in Montana and being able to be a homesteader and, you know, one thing or another, be a professional shooter, or things like that. But I think that being a member of this church helps you to see things on a different level and see darn near everything as a blessing, even the hardships that come through life. But, um, you know, like, 
the other yes or I guess yesterday morning when I was doing a prayer I was like you know what? I'm really grateful to even have a banana that came from somewhere else in the world <laughs> you know or to be able to flip the switch and we've got lights and you know there's just so many wonderful things in life to be grateful for and be feel blessed and I feel like that that's my eyes have been opened up to that my heart too wow wonderful Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. We appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for stopping over anytime. Okay. Well, my friends, thank you for listening. As you may have noticed, I couldn't help saying, wow, often as I listened to Judy's story. What a remarkable individual who has touched my life for good. As we move forward with this podcast, we would love to hear from you on any review platform. Help us spread the good news of the restored gospel through the stories of those who have recently discovered it. Remember, when thou art converted, strengthen each other.